0: And as you're having a seat, pray with me real quick. Oh, Lord, give us joy in the gospel this morning as we hear your word. Make us, your children, tender. Tender to the work you want to do to turn us away from those things that do not and have not and will not satisfy. But to turn us to you, open-armed. Jesus, may we see your face full of mercy and compassion to us, as you look upon us, as you speak our name, as you put your royal robe of righteousness on us, as you now wear us forever, as you intercede on our behalf as our priest before the Father in heaven. Fill us with joy in that. Give us confidence in your word and conviction in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are a, uh, we're a family. We're a family, and so this is not a, uh, you know, a production, even though things are done with high quality. We have no smoke machines here. You'll have to go back to my office if you want to, you know, I'm just kidding. No smoke machines. Uh, We are God's chosen, holy, and beloved. And we are here, gathered by Jesus, because we are His beloved, His beloved children. And that's part of why I'm loving Colossians, because Paul just, he won't let us get away from Jesus. Reminds me of Paul's words to the Corinthians, the smart ones. These are like the people up in, you know, Boston or New York or wherever. All the universities are there in Corinth. I mean, it's not quite Athens, but it's pretty good. And they, they just, they know all the things about all the things. And Paul says, I, okay, that's great. But I knew nothing among you except for Christ. I knew nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Christ and him crucified. So we come to Colossians 3. And Paul now has this word for us, this command. It's an imperative. Do this. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. An extensive clothing Metaphor. Perhaps Paul was a bit of a stylista. I don't know. But in the Roman Empire, you were recognized, identified, and found your identity in what you wore. Clothes mattered. If you were walking the streets of Colossae, you could, you could tell who a Roman soldier was because they were dressed like a soldier. If you happened to be in Rome itself, you could tell who a Roman senator was because they were dressed like a Roman Senator, in the same way you knew who a slave was, for they were marked by what they wore. We're used to this, aren't we? If you see a police man or woman, or a fireman or woman, or someone in the military, you know immediately who they are by what they wear. Paul says that we are to be known by what we wear, we are to put on. The virtues of Christ, the life of Christ. We are to walk in the ways of Christ. We are to be clothed like that classic Santa Fe man. You've all seen him down at the plaza. Bedazzled with like 98 pounds of Santa Fe jewelry. So much turquoise that he has back issues. And I mean, you recognize him from a mile away. Paul says that's to be the church of Christ. Recognized from a mile away because of the spiritual clothes that we wear on our hearts the grace of God. And this reminds me of my life in the mid-90s. In the mid-90s. Ah, yes, the mid-90s. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the mid-90s. Most of you in this room were either not born and or you were climbing the ladder, working hard at your career, watching the news at 10 o'clock and reruns of Seinfeld. But some of us were skateboarding all day, every day. That was me. And before skateboarding got cool, when it was still kind of A little rebellious, not that I was that rebellious. Skaters were known by their hideous clothes. I mean, just ridiculous. I challenge you to Google it after church. You know, mid-90s skateboard attire. I remember going to the mall. Remember the mall? Oh, the mall, man. I get a foot-long hot dog with extra cheese, hit tilt arcade, and then we would walk down in our little posse of hooligans to the JW store. Where somehow, by the grace of God, since my parents knew which hills to die on, I was allowed $15 to buy a pair of jeans with a 38-size waist, to only be worn on special skateboarding occasions and not to school. And I mean, a belt could do you no good in this situation. You need one of those, some of you men have, you know, and women too, for your cars, one of those ratchet deals. I mean, it was either a shoelace or, I mean, that was the only thing that could save you. But no one mistook. Not only what we did, but who we were. Because when this little group of smelly skaters walked into the room, you knew. The shoes, the jeans, the flannel shirts, the Nirvana t-shirt, you knew. And if you had daughters, you knew well enough to say, stay away. Oh man, we thought we were kings. We were gross. But in the same way that we were in the mid-90s, You know, undeniably unique in this, you know, circus-like outfit. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, what? Not only that the world needs to know that you're my disciples, but how will the world know? How's the world going to know? Oh, if you have a nice building. Diamond plaster. It's in the Greek. If you have diamond plaster, the world will know that you love Jesus. No. You know, you have whatever, things. He says, the world will know by the way that you love one another. So wearing the clothing of Christ because we're in Christ, this matters. It matters deeply to Jesus, and it matters to Paul. As he's dealing with this church that has gone through all kinds of strains and struggles. I love that, that the church in Colossae is just like us, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Jesus is raised from the dead 30 years ago, and they're already going through all these issues. Wanting to put on old clothes, bad clothes, go back to the rags. Instead, they want to wear the, you know, the nice shiny clothes of religious self-righteousness. They're listening to the false teachers that say that you need to add to Jesus. Oh, yeah, it's great that you have the royal robe of Christ, but now you need the, you know, the 15 buttons. You need the, the flares and the tchotchkes of, of proving that you're really in Christ. You know, by following new moons and festivals and harvests and do not touch this and do not do that and do this and all these rules. So Colossians 3 is like a group of folks in Santa Fe taking a trip down to double take. Putting off the old man and the old clothes and putting on the new man and the new clothes, the new self, which for Paul doesn't mean that we do the work. We don't dress for success, we dress in the success of Christ. For Paul, this means living in who we already are. That's the goal. Put on Christ. Put on Christ for one another in this church. Love, forgive, care. Put on Christ for the world. And I heard this week, you catch a lot more flies with honey. If we really want to share the gospel with our neighbors, not because they're projects, but because they're made in the image of God, it's a lot better to put on the love of Christ than it is to come in with a list of rules that one needs to follow, isn't it? It's pretty simple. Oh, and yet this week, I began to reflect on my own heart, as I always do, because as I prepare to preach, I pray that God would meet me in the Word. If God hasn't met me in the Word, then I have nothing to share with you all. I thought, oh man, the stuff I put on. The stuff I often put on. Not all the time. I'm not the worst kind of person in the world. I know how to clean my clothes and shine it up a little bit. But if people could see my heart, the stuff I put on. Last week, John said, Whatever feels threatening to me cannot harm me because I'm hidden with Christ in God. And I also know what Psalm 116 verse 8 says. That I fear and trust the Lord. What can man do to me? I know. <laughs> you know, right? Church people know. Church people know a lot of things. But to know is not really to know, no. And the clothes I so often put on style a different story anxiety, maybe, fear, uncertainty. Probably thinking more than I should about money, the future. Finances, wanting to please people, you know, wanting to have my identity and being accepted and liked. Control, uh, controlling my surroundings so that I feel calm and grounded and stable. If only these things were a matter of just putting on new clothes. But they run for me as they do for you, heart deep. So what about you? What are the old clothes you go to? Paul wants us to ask this question. Not to beat us up, but so that we might repent and believe anew, to to turn us, to turn us from the empty wells and broken cisterns to the living water. What, What clothes do you struggle with? Where do you find yourself so often wearing the rags of Adam and denying the royal robes of Christ? I think these things are human, all too human, right? We want more pleasure. That'll fix it. Or enough power to feel like we're powerful enough for ourselves. Or so often something even worse. A performance-oriented life of religion and ritual. And to all of that, I just say, what a burden. What a burden those old clothes are. What a lie. They don't. They don't do what they've promised to do. They never have. And yet, because it runs heart deep, we find ourselves once more right there in that quote, that famous C.S. Lewis quote about the young person who's far too easily pleased with mud pies in the slums, who can't even imagine for themselves that a vacation at the sea awaits them. It's not that our desires are too strong for the better, but that we're far too easily pleased with the rags because it's what we know. And really, we're pretty scared. So we turn back to fear, to coping, to these false pillars and pretenses of power. And the irony is that there's no power there for us again. But for religious people, there's another side to this coin, right? Because we know what the big sins look like. I'm not sure in this church, in this part of town, in our demographic, that the real big problem is, you know, the obviousness of the rags. Perhaps our problem isn't rags as much as it is the white collar sins and idols that we so easily entertain. Our fancy clothes, our vestments, the shiny things that help us hide when we're together, our fear of truly being known because could we truly be loved? Or our religious self-righteousness, our sense that, you know what, I've actually got it together. All you people may have burdens and baggage. That stinks, but I'm doing pretty well. It's all too much. It's all too heavy. It's all defeat. Jesus doesn't want us to live that way. I don't mean that your life in Christ is going to be perfect, you know, unending bliss, but Jesus doesn't want us to live in the rags, in the defeat, when we, are, when we are invited to come into the throne room wearing his royal robes. And so there's help in our text. There's great help. And this week I just kept coming back to this wonderful verse in Matthew 11. Think of it in the context of clothing. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden with either soiled garments or bedazzled vestments. I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my clothing upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So not only has Jesus gathered us this morning to show us how and why and what clothes we should put on, but to help us in that process entirely. And in our text this morning, I think there's really two, two ways that that is done. That's complex. Paul, Paul's crazy. It's like it's one sentence in the Greek. I mean, it's so packed. You could do a whole sermon series just on this particular set of verses. It's complex, but it's really simple. Here it is. First, get grounded. If you're going to put on Christ, get grounded. And secondly, Get dressed. That's how you put on Christ in the church, in the world. Get grounded, get dressed. So, first, Paul says we need to get grounded, grounded in Christ. We need to realize that this is all from and through and to the end of God's glory and the grace of Jesus. That, as we sang, is our firm foundation. You didn't buy the clothes, you didn't sew the clothes. In fact, if you sewed your own clothes, everyone would know don't do that. These are the clothes of Jesus, and they are given to us as a gift. And if it's not a gift, we'll run into two problems. Problem number one is you're, either, you're going to put on the wrong clothes. You're going, to, you're going to put on the wrong clothes. We'll go back to rule and religion and ritual. Or, as we often are, you'll be like that emperor who thinks he is so well-dressed, and yet everyone around him knows he is totally naked. We need to get grounded. And the first reason for this is because there really is no grounding apart from Christ. There's no grounding in the world around us, especially right now. I mean, there is kind of just this low-grade anxiety across the land. We are all feeling it. We are all in it. And that's because everything around you is finite and changing and wasn't ever meant to be God in the first place. There's no solid rock. There's just rocks that are constantly changing and being moved. This last week, we had a memorial service for one of our dear members, Sue Gregory. And we read one of her favorite psalms, Psalm 121, where the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and I ask a simple question. Where does my help come from? Man, if you want to be grounded, because you can't be dressed unless you're grounded, that's exactly the right question to ask. Where does our help come from? Because if it comes from us, if it's you, if it's, you know, you, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, John Wayne. rugged individualism, you can do it. Master and commander of your own ship. If that's the case, you're bound to end in loneliness and helplessness. You will be alone, for you cannot save yourself. And the clothes on offer are no clothes at all. If you're living in Colossae and you go to the, the Greek pantheon, the deities of the day... For us, maybe it would be fame and fortune and money and whatever. You know, for them, it's a good yield on your crops and just always hoping that you're bringing the right offering to the right God so you're not smitten and judged. That's nakedness. There's no warmth or protection in that at all. But the false teachers didn't give a better option, right? You need to know this secret Jewish mysticism stuff. Add that to your Jesus And and then you'll have the right clothes, which ended up so often as it did with the religious leaders becoming such a burden, Jesus said, it would be better that you would tie a millstone around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. On top of what's outside of us, we have the tendency inside of us to find our own ground, to be our own foundation, to exchange God for a lie. And that's the first lie, the lie of the garden, Did God really say? I mean, does he really love you? You know, are those really rags? Is there really something better? Because what happens if you take those clothes off? What if you turn to God and, and you're rejected? And you're not loved and you're not cared for? It's a lie. Being a law unto ourselves, autonomy is a lie. And the exchange always ends in disaster. So Psalm 106 puts it this way. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Why? These are God's people. They'd been saved. They were chosen and holy and beloved. Why? We're told in verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior. They forgot who made the clothes, where they came from, and who put the clothes on them. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things? And so I just want us to notice in Colossians that Paul continues to return to this gospel. It almost gets a little bit annoying. In fact, if you'd been in the early church where Colossians was a letter, it was read out loud, it was read in its entirety. There were no verses in Colossians, and so things repeated, words and concepts, would cue you into new sections you would notice that again and again, Paul is coming back to this beautiful doctrine of union with Christ. That you're not just saved. You don't just have fire insurance. I mean, that might be nice. But the riches and the treasures of Jesus are so much more. Oh my gosh. You are justified. You are justified. You are brought into God's family. You are adopted. You're given a new name. All the inheritance and riches of Jesus, your older brother, are now yours. You have the promise that God will keep you and provide for you and protect you and sustain you, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he really does love you. And even though you are like me, and when you have a bad day, you feel less justified, and when you have a good day, you feel more justified, you're equally justified on all those days. Because you're hidden in Christ, in the finished work of Christ, to the glory of God the Father, not one ounce of which you can share or take away from what Jesus has already done. So Paul is like a dog on a bone here. We never graduate from getting grounded in this way. You would think that he already said this at the beginning of chapter 3. Go ahead, open your Bible, open your phone or whatever and look at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. Here he is repeating himself again. He's not the world's worst preacher. He doesn't suffer from redundancy. He knows that our tendency is to constantly turn away from the very thing that is not only the truth don't miss this but the power and the love that we need to be motivated to walk in the truth. That's why when I'm preaching this, I can't just jump to be compassionate to each other. That's not that hard. <laughs> He only lists five virtues. You know, we get eight or nine in Galatians. This is a shorter list. Just be compassionate. Be meek. Be humble. Be kind. Check, 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 and let's go to lunch. That's why we have to start here. Because what could possibly motivate and empower our change? Not that we have to do these things, but that we are in union with Christ, so we want to do them. And like little children, we're not crushed and despised and diminished when we make a mistake. You know, I get to watch my parents and Caitlin's parents be grandparents. And it's awesome. It's really wonderful to watch grandparenting. Because when you watch grandparenting, for the most part, you just, I don't know, I just, there's this love, this care, this kindness, this compassion that, I don't know, when you're in the midst of it as a parent, is a little bit more difficult to muster up at times for me. That's how God is with us. And so, Paul's message is, is not that Christianity is deprivation and scarcity and don't do and don't touch. It's, it's something better. You're going to be reimagined in the image of Christ, clothed in Christ, and now empowered to go live in this way. Imagine if we, if we were in the world in Santa Fe and our neighbors are like, What is up with those weirdos? Why do they care for each other? Why do they hang out together? They don't have much in common. It's not deprivation, it's fullness. I was reminded of this about a week ago, we went with a family down to the mall. We still have a mall, by the way. And they have this amazing ropes course in the mall. Has anyone seen that? I look out and, you know, I see that most of you probably do ropes courses pretty regularly. So, you know, it's like this three-story thing and kids are having a blast on it. And of course you're in the mall, so there's only one place to eat, Dairy Queen it had been a long time since I had subjected this temple. You know, you're, you, when this food comes out and it all looks the same color, which is no color at all, the only thing you can pray is, you know, Father, forgive me, I know what I do when I put this into my body. But there we were, and that's what there was to eat. So, you know, the fries and the chicken strip globule, all one thing. The smell of the grease. It's like it had literally been the same grease that ran down from the beard of Aaron, you know, 3,000 years ago. I, it's just... But, you know, the iron stomach was doing fine the next day. God is merciful. And yet a day later, where did I find myself but at La Chosa? You know, La Chosa, La Chosen one, okay? It's short for that. No, it's not true. This is literally the marriage supper of the lamb food in front of me. You know, chili rellenos, carne adovada. This is what you will eat in heaven. And I mean, just, it was such a stark contrast. 24 hours from monochromatic Dairy Queen Greece to this bounty of fame and fortune, New Mexican food. And I just got to thinking, that's what the gospel is. Not, you know, DQ's bad. Now go climb the hill, go to a monastery, beat yourself up and hate life. But no, here's something so much better. Here's a way to live. Here's a way to be human. Here's what the new humanity looks like when you've been loved and redeemed and know the mercy of God for you when you believe it. Now live this way. So we first get grounded, and then we get dressed. And Paul gives us a list here of things that we are to dress ourselves in. We get five virtues, sort of these parallel fruits of the Spirit, then we get some things we are to be doing together, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And then we get a few instructions on how to do that. Dwell in the word richly. Sing to one another. Admonish one another. And hey, whatever you do, right? Not just on Sundays, not just at the, the, the Roman ritual or the, you know, the Jewish festival, but man, all the time. Do all this stuff and give thanks to God. So get dressed. Get dressed. Paul wants us to get dressed. And I I think it's really important to stress here that there is is no either or. Because we have heard and live in by faith the indicative, this is who you now are, we want to because he's so good. Because he's your father, we want to obey. Not that you have to obey to earn his favor. You've earned his favor. Now we want to obey him. It's a both and. And the fact of the matter is we don't get to come to these virtues and these admonitions to bear and forgive and these ways to live like a buffet. We don't get get to go to the buffet and pick and choose what we want. We are called by God and in His grace to care about it all. That's why the church can't just care about certain justice issues. The church has to care about all the justice issues that are on the heart of God. That's why, you know, in our text last week that John read, there were sins of sexuality and sins of speech. And what do we see? Some churches just focus on those. And all the while, there's gossip, slander, and unforgiveness. You get, oh, the big bad sins, and all they've done is exchange it for stuff that's even worse. Or then you get some churches where their posture might be to say, well, we just don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And so in the name of what appears loving, they actually cheapen God's grace and weaken love by never being willing to talk to one another about turning from sin and turning to Christ. There's no either or here. To get dressed means you can't just walk out the house with pants on. I know a few of you have a six pack. Some of us just have a pony keg. And for the rest of you, it doesn't matter. You gotta be fully clothed or not at all. So Paul says, put these things on. He starts with compassion. And I think compassion's a good summary to the five, so I'll start there. Compassion. Compassion. Suffering with. Suffering with. I want us to notice the kind of clothing that the gospel provides. Paul doesn't say, have pity on people. Paul doesn't say, you know, just pass them by. Mm, you don't want to get stained or soiled yourself. Ooh. Now that you've got those new robes on, you don't want to mess up your clothes. And Paul certainly doesn't say, you know, when the broken and the burdened and the bad vibes come your way, send it back so it doesn't infect your precious little heart that's protected by a hedge of crystals. No. Paul says, if we want to live in Jesus and with Jesus, we do what Jesus did. Jesus entered into the suffering of others, which is why the church, again, is a hospital. It's a place not for those who are perfect, but for those who are broken. As John and I have talked about a hundred times, you know, a healthy church isn't one without any conflict. This is true for families too. A healthy church isn't one where we just, we, we avoid all the issues and tensions and conflicts. Because what you'll get there is you'll either get someone who eventually blows up, or you'll get resentment and lovelessness over time. No, a healthy church is one that, that it owns its brokenness and creates a safe space where people can come in and not be judged immediately for their failures and their baggage and their trauma and their needs. Suffering with. If you are truly chosen, holy and beloved as a gift of grace, then be love to those who need it. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Oh, man, I, don't get me wrong. I love that we have this beautiful space. And I love that you know, Rick and Rita, they worked so hard to make it beautiful outside. And I love our beautiful staff. I even like most of you. Actually, I'm so glad to see so many of you today. This almost feels like church, doesn't it? Two weeks ago. Whew. But man, I, I love all of that. And yet, what I long for more than anything isn't, you know, that we run out of room in here. That you know we win the Santa Fe best in show church style. But that when we go out of this place, the church is gathered to hear the gospel and then scattered to be the gospel. That when we go out into Santa Fe, our friends and neighbors who we love go, who are those guys? Because the world's all about pity. The world's all about a handout. Or the world's all about protecting yourself from the badness. But to enter into the suffering of To really forgive, Paul says we must forgive, to be meek and lowly and humble. And I was thinking this week, you know, men, women, is that weakness? Bunch of weak Christians. Well, have you ever really tried to forgive somebody? Have you ever really tried to set your love on the unlovely? Right now, I want us to think and pray Lord, would you just bring to mind who do we need to forgive? Who do we need to bear with? Who am I right at the point of saying, okay, you have annoyed me for the last time. I'm done. Oh, there's no weakness in this at all. This is where the Holy Spirit's power is on display, both in the church and in the world. If we're not doing this, if we're not forgiving and bearing, we're fake. And as we've seen recently, it's far too easy to live a double life. Christian leader after Christian leader, it is just far too easy to live a double life. The only way to try to avoid that double life is to be grounded in God's grace and dressed together in such a way that we can know one another and walk with one another and serve one another and enter into one another's suffering. Apart from that, there is no life, there is no power, there is no showcase of the glory of Jesus on display. Paul says all this ties together in love, agape love, self-sacrificial love. This is what creates harmony, one body, many members serving one another. Like the mamas and the papas, California dreaming, the best harmonies you can imagine in the world, that when people hear it, they go, I love that song. I want to learn that song. I want to sing that song with those So we get dressed. We put on Christ. We end here. Do you ever struggle to put on Christ? Right, we do. Do you struggle to believe that those clothes are a gift or a gift you deserve? Some of you hear about God's grace and your immediate reaction is imposter syndrome. I don't deserve that. I can't can't believe that. Do you struggle to, maybe you believe it, but you struggle to take off the rags. You're like Paul in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Or you struggle to walk in the the virtue and the victory of Jesus in a way that truly is humble and meek. You're a little bit too proud of your clothes. Me too. Me too. And so here is my joy. Here is where our joy is found in this text that we might never forget the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me. Whether you're naked, whether you're in rags, whether you're bedazzled but burdened and you don't even know it, come to me. I'll dress you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And not only will, will, will he dress us, but in the cross, he has already clothed us in his righteousness. It is imputed to us. It is a gift. In the resurrection, He has put His royal robe around us. He wears your name forever in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you. With every up, with every down, with every victory, every failure, every joy, every mistake, He says your name to the Father. He wears your name for His glory forever. So brothers and sisters, Let us be grounded in Christ. Let us get dressed in his clothes. And as we do, may we shine brightly. May we beautify this truth of the new creation, both in our gathering and in our being sent. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to never forget Matthew 11. We want to come to you when we're weary and heavy laden. What an amazing thing. What What an amazing thing that so many people in that ancient world were just feeling totally beat down. They could never do enough to earn the favor of the gods. They were disenfranchised, poor little Jews in a region that nobody cared about. Under Roman enslavement through Herod, They felt powerless. And so many of the religious leaders just burdened them with with one rule after another. Oh, what good news to know that, Jesus, you've not only bought the clothes, but you show up with them. You put them on. You fit them to us perfectly. You clothe us in your royal robes. You love us. And so, Father, I pray it would be that love that would motivate us And empower us to respond in obedience. Not because we have to, but having been so loved, we truly want to. Lord, as we come to this table, I just ask that you would meet us here. May this remind us of a thousand lachosas. May this remind us that you are the one who invites us to your table to feast and dine and be in your family. To adopt us, to call us by name. And Lord, would we never forget the price that you paid, that you took off your royal robes, that you condescended, that you came down, that you were stripped naked and bare for us, that we might never, never lose our salvation, for we are both grounded and dressed in you. Amen.